with you all again tonight. Thank you for praying for us. We were out a couple of weeks. Uh, we saw everything from Niobrara, Nebraska to, uh, you know, the mountains of Kentucky. So, uh, yeah, we put on a few miles. It was a good time. Thank you for praying for us. If you have your Bibles, uh, we want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 tonight, uh, qualifications for overseers. It's good to see all the overseers are here tonight so they'll know if they're qualified or not. Actually, I might be the only one, but <laughs> I think Kurt's on his way. Uh, Albert's here. Yeah, that's right. Well, he was. I don't know where he went. Disappeared. After he heard what was I was speaking on, he left. See how that works? Uh, anyway, let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name. Thank you for your living word. It has something to say to us tonight. Help us to have ears to hear and pray it would be a fruitful, fruitful time in the word. Thank you for each one that's able to come out tonight. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, after the third missionary journey, on the third missionary journey, Paul planted a church at Ephesus. And it's been about 10 years. He's been in prison. He had two imprisonments. After the first imprisonment, he goes on a fourth missionary journey. They're, they're making a swing through Asia, visiting churches that have been planted. And one of those churches was Ephesus. <clears throat> and Paul left uh, Timothy at Ephesus to kind of strengthen the things that are in play there, including elders. Uh, I say it's been about 10 years since the church was founded there. How long did Paul stay at Ephesus? Three years. Longest he stayed anywhere. Uh, in all of his missionary journeys, we don't have a record of him staying anywhere longer than he did at Ephesus. So he had a major investment in this church. And so uh, there are some things that need to be shored up there, though it would seem. seems there's a concern about uh, some of the leaders, uh, the leadership on the scene there. And we noted at the end of chapter 2, he talks about, uh, he's addressing men and women, and uh, he's uh, addressing, uh, you know, their, their role and how they should conduct themselves. Just in terms of background, I'm getting to a question that was brought up last time in our study, which probably most of you weren't even here. That's what happens when you come back three weeks later, right? But uh, here uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, uh, if I'm delayed, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar and ground of truth. So he is certainly writing in reference to the church. And the reason I say that's significant as far as our question, uh, when we looked at, well, let me bring up the outline first here as far as where, what we're looking at. Uh, church order is the, the theme of the entire book, and we have worked our way down to instructions regarding church order. And uh, that was my emphasis in the, in the preceding verse there. Um, in terms of uh, the emphasis here, uh, it is a church order in chapter 2 and chapter 3. He has emphasized that men should lead in prayer everywhere. The word is an heir. Uh, men, it's a word that always refers to just men. And he's talking about the congregation when they are all assembled in, in a formal assembly, I really think. And, uh, you know, women can pray too. You have 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Certainly they could pray if they had a head covering uh, in that context, which I think the head covering is long hair myself uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, men. But uh, that's a whole other subject. But uh, also then he says that the, in verse uh, 11, let a one, woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man but to be in silence. Now, the question that uh, came up here was in this regard. When it talks about uh, the woman is uh, uh, to not have authority over a man, uh, the word there is an heir, and sometimes it's translated husband. 
And so you have, um, well, there's my verse. Uh, do not over, the, the issue is over a man. Is it over a husband or, or over a man? And uh, I really think we're talking about, uh, it's a whole church setting. And uh, here's my reasoning, just a few reasons. There's lots of things you could mention. But without context, an heir, which is the word translated man, can be translated as man or husband. That's true. But context and grammar argue that Paul is addressing the relationship of women with men in the context of the church. There's no definite article, which usually designates a husband. Uh, Usually it has a definite article with husband. It doesn't here. So in context, Paul has just addressed both men and women in a generic sense in the setting of the local church. And uh, for this reason, all of these translations, really every one of them translate this as over a man generally, uh, generically. So I think uh, the context would certainly carry the day there. There's also some grammatical uh, reasons to think that is the case. We could really, if we got into the Greek, uh, really tear that apart further. But uh, just FYI on that. And uh, now uh, he segues into addressing elders. That makes sense. He's been talking about the role of men, the role of women. And now he segues into elders and elder qualifications. And uh, so, let's see, our next slide here. What's that? We're back to men. We are. And especially, I think, in relationship to the subject, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Uh, well, who are the main teachers? When we talk about uh, the church, assembled uh, men and women, it's, it's, it's the men. It's, it's qualified elders who are the, the key teachers. So... Uh, This is what I say. ESV says, uh, after dealing with issues that arise from corporate worship, including barring of women from the role of teaching and authority over the assembled congregation, which I think is the context, Paul now discusses who should exercise these roles. Uh, Leadership is to be male, and that leads to the discussion of elder qualifications, as seen in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And we uh, talked about, you know, there's caveats. There's certainly contexts where women do teach. Uh, fellow women, children, and so forth. But when the church is assembled, uh, it is to be uh, the, the male leadership that is to provide the teaching. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verse 1. We're in chapter 3 now. Uh, verse 1, who wants to read that for us? Chapter 3, verse 1. Albert? Okay, I'll come to you, Levita. Albert, read verse 1 for us, if you would. Okay, so again, he's talking about uh, uh, women are to, to be in submission to the male leadership, and then that segues into now talking about uh, elders or, or bishops, as he uh, calls it here. He says, this is a faithful saying. Uh, this is like a creedal statement that uh, relates to the early church. It's fine five times in the pastoral epistles, uh, four times here in First Timothy, one time in Titus. So when he makes this statement, this is a faithful saying, it's kind of like it's a self-evident statement that uh, is an important uh, point that he is making. Um, and so he says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, the idea of a, a, a man desiring this, he aspires to it. Um, and, uh, you know, God is at work in this person's heart. We often talk in the ministry about a push and a pull, right? Uh, how do you know you should go somewhere? Well, there should be a push and a pull. Uh, I remember this pastor telling me this years ago. He said an old pastor had told him this. Uh, always needs to be a push and a pull. And uh, the push relates to the circumstances. You know, how do you know when it's time to leave? Well, there's a push. 
But there's also a pull internally in your heart. There's a tug there. And he said, if there's a push, but there's no pull, don't go. But if there's a pull and there's not a push, don't go. They have to have the push and the pull go together. Well, I think there's some, there's some wisdom in that. It seems to me God is sovereign. Uh, he ordains circumstances. He works in people's hearts. Uh, so that does seem to go together. We would have a pull here, right? A pull, internal pull. He desires. Uh, God's at work in his heart. Uh, he's coming to somebody, you know, we'd like, we're considering you elder. I have no desire. I, I don't I, don't go any further. There's no point. Heart's not in it. Uh, it's, gonna, it's not going to work. So uh, it starts there. Uh, if a man desires. Now there's more than this required. There are certain people who desire it shouldn't have it. Right? You know why? They're not qualified. Right? So some people, hey, boy, I like this esteemed position. I, I, like, I like the attention. I like to talk. Uh, whatever it might be. You laugh, but I think some people do just like to talk, like to hear themselves talk, and it's almost a little too much. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so there's more required than just desiring. I think there has to be a calling uh, where God is at work in this person's heart. It's God who's behind this desire. Uh, I like what uh, MacArthur says at this point. He says, I am above all things a preacher. I could give up everything tomorrow. I could walk away from radio. I do not care. If the Lord wants me to do that, that's fine. I do not need to write another book. I do not need to be president of an institution. I do not need any of that. But I cannot live if I do not preach. It is not that I am driven by the crowd to do that. It's not an external. I am driven internally to do that. This is a calling upon my life. It is almost an inexplicable inexplicable drive within me. I think that's true. Uh, you know, I don't have this happen a lot, but there's, there's times it does happen when somebody has told me, hey, you're done. And uh, <laughs> I remember a, this person telling me this, and I said, you know what? I still got a, a fire in my belly, uh, you know? And if I'm, I'm, by the way, I don't insist on being in my position. I am more than happy to leave at any time. Because, but I, the master is in charge. And if he's put me here at my post, I don't want to be unfaithful. I want to continue on in my post until he's done with me in this post. And I'm very God-centered in this. I don't think people decide like in a regular corporation. It's God who places each member in the body as it pleases him. So it becomes a pretty big deal uh, when you do that. But anyway, uh, I agree with MacArthur. I'm with MacArthur. Uh, You know, at this point, with the fire in the belly, you know, I'll be preaching somewhere. Might be down in the corner. That's okay. Might be a few of you come with me. Anyway, <laughs> if a man desires, it has to be a desire. Fire in the belly. There, there, there's, there's a work of God there. Uh, the position of, of a bishop. A bishop literally means overseer. It's the Greek word episkopos, uh, which literally means overseer. Uh, it really emphasizes the responsibility uh, that the leadership has uh, as oversight. Um, elder emphasizes what? We have those two main words, uh, uh, bishop, uh, overseer, and elder. What's, what's elder emphasize? Yeah, Albert, you had your hand up. Well, that's, that's what the word elder does denote. Uh, somebody's got a little bit of maturity on them, uh, a lot of maturity on them. <laughs> uh, spiritually mature is the idea of elder. Elder literally means old, older man. But uh, we find, you know, Timothy was a young man, kind of serving in that pastoral role. 
Uh, I don't think it's the, it's the issue is not age. Sometimes people get senile. You know, they say, well, he's an elder. <laughs> no, he doesn't meet the qualifications. Uh, so it's, it's spiritually mature is the concept of, of elder. Episcopos refers to the responsibility, the position of responsibility. Really a pretty, essentially interchangeable, the idea of bishop and elder. We commonly use elder. But uh, note uh, here in Acts 20, uh, 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, called for the elders. A few verses later, same group. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's our word, bishops, uh, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we have elders, overseers, the concept of shepherd. The word shepherd really is, is the word pastor. And so, uh, you know, elders, overseers, uh, pastor, shepherd, uh, those are pretty much used uh, essentially interchangeably. Uh, We see this again here in uh, Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Point elders in every city as I commanded you. Um, Of course, if we get one church going to a city, that was the goal initially. But if a man is blameless, a husband of one wife, having faith with children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop, so elders, Bishop. Bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, quick-tempered, given to wine, violent, uh, greedy for money. But I want you to just see here, elders and bishop interchangeable here. So uh, that idea uh, is very consistent. Uh, Just in terms of recapping here, elder, spiritual maturity, bishop, overseer has the oversight responsibility, pastor, shepherding responsibility. So really these concepts... uh, essentially interchangeable. I do want to point this out. I have pointed this out before from Alexander Strzok. I personally believe Ephesians 4.11, and and it's not just me, there's many uh, scholars who hold to this position that I am presenting to you. Uh, Ephesians 4.11 refers to spirit-gifted shepherds. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, Here Paul is speaking of spirit-gifted persons, not the office of overseer elder. It really is, we're talking about Christ has given people, gifted people to the church. So it's not talking about an office here. It's talking about gifted gifted people who are called pastor teachers or, or shepherd teachers. Uh, so not the office of overseer elder. Not all spirit gifted shepherds have to be elders. Uh, let's suppose uh, all of a sudden, and I shouldn't even use this in illustration, but I will. Uh, let's suppose uh, for some reason I'm not at Southview next week. Do I cease to be a pastor teacher, a gifted pastor teacher? I would say no. I'm, I'm a pastor teacher now uh, looking for where the Lord wants to use me as far as my giftedness, as far as a gifted person that God has given to the church. That's how I would see that. But so uh, not all spirit gifted shepherds have to be elders. Uh, and not all elders are gifted uh, sh- pastor teachers. Uh, the eldership is a shepherding body, but some elders, not all, are spirit gifted shepherds. So I think that's an important, uh, and I would really, kind of, we kind of talk about uh, my role as first among equals. I honestly would make a parallel to the seven messengers to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, those, the word is angelos, uh, the word angel means uh, messenger, couldn't be uh, angels because the people there are held accountable for sin, for example. So I think he's talking about seven specific uh, messengers, pastor teachers in that key role of messenger to the church. Uh, so I see a parallel there. Anyway, 
Uh, notice he says, uh, if a man desires the position of overseer, bishop, he desires a good work. It, it's, a, it's a good thing. I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a wholesome, it's a beneficial thing. It's a, it's a quality thing to do for the Lord. Uh, just a few things uh, to note here as far as other points here. Uh, they're always, they always serve as a plurality. Uh, the New Testament was nothing of a one-man show. It speaks of a bishop in terms of, a, you know, the qualifications of individual bishop. But in terms of uh, elders are always plural in terms of uh, their role of service. So uh, the New Testament was nothing of a one-man show. You know, we don't want Protestant popes. Uh, they serve as a team, a unified team. So I really think uh, there, there is a team uh, concept in terms of the elders. And then, uh, let's see here. Elders are selected by God and recognized by the church. Uh, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You say, well, we just, I got up one morning, I decided I was just going to be an overseer. I desired it. I put myself in position. No, you don't. Uh, it's God. Uh, even the church, you know, ultimately God uses the church, but it's the Holy Spirit who makes you overseers if it's, you know, lining up with Scripture. Uh, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Uh, but I want to emphasize right here, it's the Holy Spirit who has made you overseers. If it's lining up according to Scripture, uh, it's the Holy Spirit who's behind it. Okay, uh, let's see. What else we got here? Stephen Cole, the answer to who is in charge of the church is Jesus Christ. He exercises his headship in the local church through elders who are spiritually mature men, selected by God and recognized by the church, uh, who, through example and servanthood, shepherd his flock. So, yep, there's the... It's not my church. People say, how's your church? Oh, I don't have one. Well, what happened? Well, I never did have one. Really? I thought you were South you for 38 years. <laughs> it's not my church, right? It's the church of Jesus Christ. I have a stewardship responsibility with all the other elders, uh, but uh, it's his church. But how does God work then? Well, he works through elders uh, specifically. And Thomas Constable says, the effective operation of each church depends on its leadership. The New Testament does not legislate the details of church operations. Boy, you know, that, that, there's a great point right there because there's so many things where it's like, you know, we face this situation. How do we handle it? Well, God's given elders with their wisdom and their hopefully spiritual maturity and prayerfully to grapple with it. Uh, therefore, it is important that the men making these decisions be spiritual men who set a good example, have the respect and confidence of, of the other church members. How true that is. Yeah, all of that fits together there. Okay, that's all I have to say about verse 1, and I want you to know I have just as much to say about all the other six verses. No, I don't. But uh, any other input here? Which, are you serious? Before? Back? Oh, this term, this one? Okay, we'll, we'll sit right there for you for a little bit. Yeah. All right, anything else? Are you going to have to help me find my place as we go forward again here? Okay, okay. Let's have somebody read verses 2 and 3. Uh, Levita, yes. Were you going to ask a question? You're, you're going to read. Okay, thank you.
Thank you. Uh, what we have here in verses 2 through 7 are 15 qualifications for elders. 15 of them. And uh, 14 of them are character-oriented. Now, we got one that relates to ability. You have to be able to teach. But the other 14 are essentially character issues. What do you think is the most important thing? Well, the most important thing is he can teach. No, I don't think so. Yes, it is. It is important. But it's, it's, uh, it's just one of 15. Uh, if you can teach but your character stinks, it's a problem. Uh, character is the main thing here. And uh, let's see here. I think I got another slide here. Oh, you got it? Okay, let's go here. See if we can figure it out together. Yeah, it was here, right? Yep, that's what I thought. Okay. Uh, there is an inseparable link between the character of a church and the quality of its leadership. Leaders must set a godly example for the church to follow. You know, a church really doesn't rise above its leaders in terms of, of uh, the example, uh, the, the tone that is set for the entire church. Uh, it really does uh, fall upon the, upon the elders. Uh, notice a bishop then must be blameless. Again, uh, we start with kind of an overarching character issue. Um, these qualifications for elders are given against the backdrop of chapter 1, in which we see there were unqualified leaders on the scene. We went back there. He had some very harsh things to say about these leaders, these teachers who were not teaching right. These standards served as a correction to the lack of leadership standards in place at the church of Ephesus. Recall from chapter 1 that some of these leaders were teaching false doctrine and making shipwreck of the faith. So I think that's the backdrop. That's the context in which he's now emphasizing. You say, well, the church been in existence for 10 years. We already have elders. Why are you covering this again? I'll tell you why. Chapter 1. That's why. There was a problem. Uh, a bishop then must be blameless. How's that? We, Kurt, we have to resign. <laughs> blameless. Uh, well, it's not talking... Uh, sinlessly perfect, because if that's the case, nobody is qualified whatsoever. So we're not talking that. Uh, I think the idea is blameless is no serious uh, charges will stand against this person. Uh, that's the idea. Literally, blameless means to not be laid hold of. Nothing will stick in terms of a serious charge. And this is kind of the summary qualification uh, that kind of is, when you look at all the other qualifications he mentions, this is what he means by blameless. Meet all the other qualifications and you're blameless. And the first thing that he mentions is the husband of one wife. Uh, I often tell my wife, she, she's my favorite wife. It's a bad joke, isn't it? She's my only wife. Uh, you know, I'm a one-woman man. And that's the idea here. Literally, husband of one wife is a one-woman man. Again, I think we're talking character. Uh, you know, when do you start evaluating uh, the uh, qualifications, whether a person is qualified to be? You don't hold unbelievers uh, accountable for spiritual qualifications. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. So I think you start evaluating at the time when a person is, is saved. And they have to have a, a, a proven track record of being a one-woman person. Uh, that's their character. Uh, they're not a womanizer. They don't have a problem with porn. Uh, a person who's struggling with porn is, is not a one-woman man. They're into lots of uh, a one, yeah, a one-woman man. <laughs> so did I say it backwards? Uh, that's the idea here. 
uh, it's uh, character. It's not just status. Uh, you know, you could say, well, that person, he's been married to that woman for 25 years. But yeah, but he's got an eye for other women and he's kind of flirting around. No, 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 no. He's not a one-woman man. I don't care if he's been just married once. The issue is character here, I think. Um, so let's see what I got here. Again, another MacArthur quote. Some may wonder why Paul begins his list with this quality. That's a good thing to contemplate. He does so because it is in this area above all others where leaders seem most prone to fall. The failure to be a one-woman man has put more men out of the ministry than any other sin. It is thus a matter of grave concern. They say uh, 50% of pastors fall into immorality. Uh, I don't know what the stat is, but it's high. It's crazy. Uh, I sometimes think uh, very unwise counseling practices. Uh, you know, you get into a counseling, you talk heart to heart, and, and you start, it, things happen. It's, it's not, it's not, you've got to be wise, got to be careful. Uh, has to be a one-woman man. Has to have that quality, that character. Yes? Oh, I didn't say that. It was D.A. Carson who had a professor. Yeah, I used the illustration. Yeah, it was like 35 times in that class. He said, stay behind the desk. If she starts to cry, stay behind the desk. Uh, give her a Kleenex. Stay behind the desk. <laughs> it was always, and, and he said, a brand new pastor. And first day, a woman walks in. And, and it was like something came down like a scroll right before his eyes. Stay behind the desk. <laughs> and she started to cry. Give her a Kleenex. Stay behind the desk. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good illustration. All right. <clears throat> uh, notice it continues here. Uh, then he says temperate. Uh, temperate is literally uh, without wine. Wineless. Uh, it's, we think, used in a metaphorical sense, in the sense of being clear-headed. Um, this is uh, the idea of, of, of a well-balanced, <clears throat> well-balanced thinker, a clear-headed thinker, a good thinker. Uh, you know, sometimes you have people that are just characterized by consistently stinking thinking. Uh, they shouldn't be an elder, right? Got to be a clear thinker, be able to think uh, in a balanced way. Sober-minded, serious-minded, serious about the things of God. This is... This is uh, my mind is set on heaven, uh, you know, heavenly minded, so you're no earthly good. I'm just kidding about that last part. That's an old saying. But anyway, uh, sober minded of good behavior, uh, good, uh, behavior, good uh, behavior is literally orderly, orderly behavior. Uh, it's, uh, this word um, uh, um, is related to um, modest in, in verse 9. Uh, and so uh, the idea here is to lead a disciplined, dignified life, not one full of chaos and confusion, out of order, uh, not given to wine, uh, literally not beside wine, not a constant drinker. It doesn't say you can't have any wine. Uh, you know, uh, different places of the world, it's very much a part of the culture to have maybe a, a glass of wine with dinner. Okay, I, I'm not going to... Uh, crucify somebody over having a glass of wine uh, with uh, their dinner. I do think, want to be very wise, want to be very careful. There's danger. We have all kinds of verses. Uh, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So, so we want to be very careful. And uh, we live in an age where kind of throw caution to the wind and em emphasize liberty. I, I want to emphasize uh, some caution here. And I see that here. Not, not given to wine, not, not characterized by being a, a wine bibber or, or one who's constantly drinking wine. Uh, not violent. Literally, uh, not being a striker. 
Uh, not one who is prone to physically fight or be a brawler. Uh, you don't want that. <laughs> you might make him the bouncer, I guess, right? <laughs> Church bouncer. Yeah, no. <clears throat> shouldn't, be, uh, shouldn't be an elder. Uh, we we want to be those who, uh, you know, we're not fighters. We want to be peacemakers, as Christ told us. Uh, not violent, not greedy for money. Uh, this is not in the older manuscripts. It's really pretty much uh, parallel to covetous at the end of the verse here. Uh, covetous covers it. Uh, so, uh, but gentle, uh, gentle. How about gentle? Gracious, gracious. You, you want your elders to be gracious, gracious. Uh, the idea of, of uh, gentle is kindly, considerate, patient, forbearing, um, that, that's, we don't want people who are going to stomp all over people. You know, even there's a special warning in First Peter, not lording it over. Hey, I'm the boss here. Everybody get in line here. I'm somebody. No, 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 no. Sorry, you're not qualified. Gentle, gentle, gracious. The idea is easy to get along with, approachable, approachable. That's what we want. I like this from uh, Thomas uh, well, did I leave this? Where am I at here? Yeah, I know I'm on constable. I'm not supposed to be on him. Uh, oh, I skipped this. Okay, let's see if these are good slides, shall we? <laughs> they belong to the previous, what we were talking about. Phrase uh, able to teach uh, means apt, uh, qualified, competent to explain, defend the truth of God. This is the only qualification involves ministry skill or gift. That's what I was talking about earlier. And then uh, I got another one along the same line here. Bible knowledge commentary. An overseer must be able both to understand, communicate the truth to others, as well as refute those who mishandle it. Not all must necessarily do this publicly, of course. Some may conduct this aspect of their ministries more informally, in private settings. Yet all leaders must possess an aptitude for handling the word with skill. And we, and we have talked about that as elders. Uh, not all of us have the same public ministry uh, in, the, in the sense. Um, you know, I'm the primary uh, pastor teacher. I'm the primary teacher, but the others, elders teach in one format or another. Uh, some feel more comfortable publicly teaching. It's more their thing. Uh, I see this even, you know, uh, to uh, give double honor to those who labor in the word and doctrine. I mean, not all elders are going to be in that category. So, so there, are, there are distinctions there, but all must uh, have some ability to teach. Uh, yeah, I left out, hosp- uh, didn't I? I left out hospitable and able to teach. So we're able to teach, back up to hospitable, lover of strangers. Uh, back in these days, you know, it's kind of getting this way. You know, we stayed at a Super 8. It wasn't Super. I don't know what 8 was. But uh, it's like, I was thinking about this. Uh, maybe we need a nice Christian around here somewhere we can stay. And, you know, we, it's, Anyway, I don't want to get all that. But uh, this is the idea of lover of strangers, hospitable, one who's willing to host people. Uh, in these days, uh, inns were of Ill re- places of ill repute. It was almost dangerous to go there. So you wanted to be hospitable, bring in uh, strangers, be a lover of strangers. Uh, that's a, uh, one of the qualifications. Okay, did I leave out anything else? I hope not, because I'm well into verse 3. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's go to where I wanted to go as far as my Alex Montoya quote. By the way, Alex Montoya is one of the speakers at the IFCA conference we were at. Uh, he has pastored, and I think he's uh, been involved in 17 church plants. And he said, uh, in terms of evangelism, he said, if you're not planting churches, you're not really properly doing evangelism as we see in the book of Acts. 
I told him afterwards, this was very convicting. He kind of smiled at me. <laughs> but uh, he, used, he was on, uh, you know, he was one of the professors at Master Seminary for a number of years. He's in L.A. He's had a church in Los Angeles for years now. But anyway, a little bit of background on him. But he says, more Christian leaders lose their ministries over their inability to get along with people than they do for their inability to preach or carry out their ministerial duties. What we fail to realize in the ministry is that ministry is about getting along with people. How about that? You got to be able to get along with people. I think that's what we're talking about here. Gentle, right? Gentle. You're able to get along with people. Uh, yeah, I think that's involved there, what he's saying. If we do not develop proper people skills, that is ability to get along with people of all stripes and colors, we will not have a lasting ministry. In the list of qualifications given in First Timothy Titus, it is clear that they are addressing the ability to deal lovingly and in a godly manner with the Christian community. Yep, I agree with Alex there. That's, I think that fits under the heading here of, of being gentle, uh, able to get along with people, being gracious with people. Uh, Very important uh, as far as an elder qualification. Uh, Not quarrelsome. How about that? Not quarrelsome. You know, not a person who gets up in the morning and says, well, who can I fight with today? (laughs) You know, being a warmonger. No, we don't want to be quarrelsome. Uh, We don't want to be a fighter. Uh, We want to get along. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, and it's not always possible because it's not always dependent upon you, Right? I mean, if you've got somebody who just wants to come at you and poke you in the eye with a stick, I mean, what are you going to do? I guess you hide. <laughs> I don't know. But if it is possible, as much as depends on you, there's the key. Live peaceably with all men. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not looking for trouble. We're not looking for an argument. We're not looking for a fight. Uh, especially as elders, not quarrelsome. You know, some people, you know, <laughs> I've had situations in my life where I just... I, I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to quarrel. And so I just wouldn't go there. And so uh, this particular person I'm thinking about uh, thought I was, you know, <laughs> just not very um, easy to get along with, I guess. But really, I just didn't want to argue. There's always an argument. Every time. Argument. I, I don't want to argue. I don't want, I, I don't want to go there. Not quarrelsome. Not covetous. Uh, not fond of silver. Uh, this relates to uh, the love of money, as we see in 1 Timothy 6.10. Uh, the Chinese teach their young pastors, um, don't touch the girls, don't touch the gold, and don't touch the glory. That's a pretty good motto to live by, right? Don't touch the girls, don't touch the gold, and don't touch the glory. That belongs to God. And not covetous. Uh, be content. You know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, okay, uh, any other thoughts there? I'm going to have to move along just a little bit faster, aren't I? <laughs> Verses 4 and 5, who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Marianne? He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Okay, so he has to be one who rules his own household well. You know, every, every man is a leader in his home, right? I always tell this uh, in premarital counseling. Uh, you will be a leader. Now, you might be a bad one, <laughs> but you're going to be a leader, uh, good or bad. I mean, you may be a total fail, but, but your role before God is, is that. Uh, rules his, his own house well. Now, uh, you know, if your children are in the house, uh, you're, you're responsible for what's going on in the home. Uh, 
but, uh, you know, once they leave, they get married and they leave, uh, you know, uh, I don't run their house, right? I told all my son-in-laws, you know, hey, I, I won't run your, your life. And I don't, sometimes I'm tempted, a little more, make a little change here. Uh, but no, it's not my, it's not my place. Uh, his own house. What, what's my own house? Well, it's pretty easy now. I just got one other member in the house. It's much easier. But uh, his own house, well, rules his own house well. Uh, and it says, having his children in submission with, with all reverence. Uh, in some, under control. It's not an out-of-control uh, household. Uh, so the children should have the proper respect um, for the parents in the household. Um, this is, uh, well, let me, before I get to William, uh, ruling the household well does not mean that the man is a dictator. In fact, it will mean he uh, is not. Yes, he knows how to discipline, but he also knows how to build a good working relationship with his children. If a man rules his own house well, he will avoid extremes of undue harshness and of unrighteous leniency. A very balanced statement there. Um, you know, we watched a documentary uh, on the, uh, the Duggar family and, and Bill Gothard. And it was enlightening because when I went to see Bill Gothard as a young Christian, it was the end thing in those days. And uh, I didn't see any grace. I was so excited about being forgiven. I lived a wild life. I was a wild child. And, and Gothard was talking about he did one little thing to his brother. And before he could be right, we've got to go back to his brother. I have, I have five siblings I nearly killed all of them at one point. It's like, how am I ever going to, you know, this just is overwhelming to me. I, took, I, I was forgiven of all. I was so excited about Jesus coming, about being forgiven. I walked up. They said, what's wrong with you? Your face is down. It's so interesting. The Duggars were heavy into Gothard and, and what happened to the Duggard family and uh, to Bill Gothard. The legalism that was involved there, the hypocrisy that was involved there, the no grace that was involved there, it, it, it was a killer. It really was. And uh, so, you know, we want to keep that in mind here. Uh, yes, we want to be disciplinarians, but not uh, in just a legalistic sense with no grace. Um, with all reverence is the idea that children are taught proper respect. And that's very important. We, we you know, children, what's the last day's you know, characteristic of last days, madness, uh, perilous times. Children disobey their parents. Just out of control. Often I see a child just totally out of control. I see the parent needs a spanking. <laughs> it's out of control. Uh, only God can bring about conversion. But while the children are under his roof, an overseer must be able to rule his own house well. The children cannot be out of control. Now, that doesn't mean they never mess up or don't go through times of rebellion. Again, perfection is not in view here, but the general tenor of the home life and family dynamics is that the children have regard and respect for their, for their father. So we're going to give some space for teenagers, right? Yeah, we are. I am, anyway. Uh, I raised, uh, you know, four teenagers. Thankfully, they're all, all out of teenagers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you give uh, space for youthful indiscretion, right? For growing up, maturing, messing up. Uh, you make mistakes. That's part of it. I think of the test. How do you deal with it? Not, not, oh, we've got perfect kids, the Duggar family. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, I'm telling you, it's coming. Uh, they all have sin natures. They need to be converted too. Uh, how are we going to deal with this? 
Yeah, there needs to be some, some accountability, but there also needs a lot of grace, a lot of grace along the way. And they need to know that you love them, no matter what they're going through, you know. Uh, boy, we've got to love our kids, and they'll know that. They'll know that. Another thought here is, uh, however, some think it more likely that with all reverence relates more to the father's tone than it does the response of the children. Uh, I kind of think that might be true because the issue is the elder here, the bishop and his qualifications, right? Yeah, he's got to keep his children in in, uh, check, but taken this way, the father handles himself with dignity as he raises his family. It could go either way, emphasizing respectfulness of the children or the dignity of the father. Where one is found is expected, the other will also be there. It's been well said that godly leadership begins at home, and indeed, indeed it does. Okay, um, for if a man does not know how to rule his, his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So he argues from the lesser to the greater. And uh, this shows that the church is really a family, right? It's a church family. Uh, really, it's an extended family. You know, you've got your family and you've got problems, right? Yes, yes. Yes, we all do. <laughs> you got a family. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have challenges. Now just compound this. Uh, now you've got a whole bunch. You've got a large family. And all kind, us elders are dealing with all kinds of things all the time. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with that? And, and, and what about this? And, and you know, it, it's, it's uh, from the lesser uh, to the greater. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? By the way, it's interesting. Uh, he talks about ruling his own house, but then he talks about taking care of the, the church of God. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's about taking care of people. Uh, that's what overseers do. Uh, it's about taking care of the, of the church, managing and, and overseeing and, and in a caring role. Not harsh, not lording it over, but, but uh, shepherding. Uh, shepherding. And, and a good shepherd cares for the good of the flock. Note that word cares here. By the way, uh, the Greek word translated take care of is found only one other place in the New Testament in reference uh, to the care shown by the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. What a beautiful picture. Good, good under shepherds uh, lovingly care for the people to build them up. Elders care for the church of God. Uh, I, I love that statement there. Okay, uh, since you have no other input, unless you do, let's read here very quickly verses 6 and 7. Who wants to read that for us? Yes, Janie. I want you to notice the word devil is found twice in these verses. Uh, there's a big concern about the devil and him having his way. Uh, not a novice, uh, literally a new convert. Again, the word elder denotes maturity. Uh, not a novice, not, not a new convert. What's the concern? Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. The great challenge of leadership is pride. Uh, I'd, like, I'd like to think I'm, I'm not proud, but boy, it creeps in there. Uh, you know, we got a wonderful facility here. And I was visiting another church recently, and this thought came into my mind, it's not nearly as nice as our church. And I thought, such ego, such pride. It's like, what? Uh, it just creeps in there. It's, it's, you know, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Why? To keep him humble. I mean, Paul, and he, Lord, please take this. Please. No, he said, no, it's for your good. Uh, my grace is sufficient. 
but it'll keep you humble. Uh, I sometimes think God allows, and there's always hardships in the ministry. Endure hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy. Uh, but I think God uses those in different ways. But one of the ways, I think, as leaders, it, it does work in our lives to, to, to keep us humble, to, to make us humble. And, and God's, God's at work there. But, uh, you know, even for mature elders, I think it's a struggle, this thing called pride. But for a young convert, it's just too much. You put him in that position, uh, he's, he's very likely to be puffed up with pride and fall into the same condemnation of the devil. You know, uh, where did sin begin? Well, it began in heaven. And what was the original sin? It was pride. You know, we got the five I wills in Isaiah 14. I will ascend into heaven. I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will. He's going to do it. thought he was going to overtake God's position. Uh, Pride. Uh, The idea of... uh, uh, puffed up is the idea of wrapped up in smoke. You know, when, when, when you're full of pride, it's like smoke has entered your head. And, and you know, when you're in, a, if you've been in a fire in a situation, when there's a bunch of smoke, you can't see. You can't see clearly. Pride is a blinding thing. Fogs up your head. You don't see right. You don't see properly. And that's the concern here. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. You know what happened with the devil, right? Christ saw him in Luke ten eighteen. What 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 do you see with the devil? He saw him fall from heaven like shh, lightning. Okay, woo, that was quick. <laughs> same condemnation of the devil. You know what what happened to the devil? He fell from his lofty position. He had the highest position over all the angels, all the holy angels. His name was Lucifer, uh, the bright one. Uh, And he fell from that position. Now, uh, let's note a couple of slides here. Um, I'm out of order here again, I think. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, Alexander Strzok, behind church fights and unresolved divisions is ugly human pride. And the worst kind of pride is religious pride, the pharisaical pride of self-righteousness and superiority. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, pride, it it is the besetting sin of of mankind. Uh, Let's see, I got to move quickly through my slides here since we are at the appointed time. But Paul was uh, not saying this person would suffer the same fate as going to hell, which is the devil's doom. Rather, he was saying that just like the devil lost his position because of pride, so likewise, pride can cause a spiritual leader to devastatingly fall. Positions of power, even among God's people, have a tendency to cloud the mind with pride, resulting in a great fall. Uh, That's a concern. He's not saying, well, you're going to have the same fate as the devil. Uh, You're going to have the same experience and you're going to fall from a very long... You you just have to realize the elder is in a very high, exalted position. Highest position in the world. Higher than the president. You say, president, elder. No, no. The president's in a much lower position than elder in the church. In In my mind. My thinking. I mean, this is the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ that you now have a stewardship position over. A very, very high position. To fall from that position is to fall like the devil from a very high position uh, to a very low uh, position. And pride, we know pride, right? The Proverbs uh, 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before fall. In the New Testament, the Greek word for devil is sometimes translated impersonally as false accuser. Slander, 
or malicious gossip. This is the devil's work. Pride exalts itself by trying to tear down others. This is, what the, de- this is the devil's work. Such activity leads to a great fall. Again, the word devil, slander, uh, literally slander, is found twice, in, in the, in, once in verse 6 and again in verse 7. Okay, uh, verse 7, to very quickly. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those that are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Uh, so, you know, it's amazing. Uh, the, the world is always trying to pick Christians apart, right? If there's dirt there, they'll find it. Uh, <clears throat> character does show. Uh, the world even knows, hey, you're honest. You're a person of integrity. Uh, they will know. Uh, they, they see that. You must have a good testimony among those that are outside. Kind of kind of pass the outside test here too. Not, not talking about when they just slander you and that happens. But if it's not true, okay, they can whatever. But it better not be true. Better not be true. Must have a good testimony. Uh, they'll know, lest you fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Uh, my final slides here. Let's just wrap it up with this. Reproaches are verbal accusations. In view here would be justifiable criticism of the man. The devil waits for people with a bad testimony to get into a position. And then he goes to work to expose and destroy them. The devil sways the world system and the world feeds on bringing to light any dirt, especially on Christian leaders, that it can find. Okay. Um, Brian Bell, qualifications of a good elder, strength of an ox, tenacity of a bulldog, daring of a lion, wisdom of an owl, harmlessness of a dove, industry of a beaver, gentleness of sheep, versality, versatility, versatility, there we go, of a chameleon, vision of an eagle, height of a rhinoceros, the perspective of a giraffe, Endurance of a camel, bounce of a kangaroo, stomach of a horse, disposition of an angel, loyalty of an apostle, faithfulness of a prophet, tenderness of a shepherd, fervency of an evangelist, devotion of a mother, and still he could not please everybody. (laughs) You know, you're just supposed to be blameless. (laughs) Perfect in every way, which is not possible. But the standard is high. That's the point. Uh, Qualified elders must be men of great character. But they're still men. Ultimately, they are accountable to God as those who will incur a stricter judgment. I mean, you're signing up to be an elder. You are definitely signing up for a a stricter evaluation. There is a higher accountability. Yeah, it goes with the turf. Qualified overseers must be humble, loving, holy. In short, they must be Christ-like, set an example for the body. Christ is the head of his church, but the way he generally exercises his headship over the church is through spiritually qualified elders. There is no higher calling. Okay, thank you for enduring with me. I went over five minutes, but anyway, hopefully you'll forgive me. If not, I'm sure there's something in here about that. (laughs) All right, any final thoughts? Okay, let's share some uh, prayer requests.